When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Deputy Gerard, why do you feel that Dr. Kimball came back to Chicago? I have no idea, but I can tell you that Too Much Movie, a podcast that gets lost in those movies that are too much in the best possible way, will go away to answering that question. Marshall, we understand your deputies were at County Hospital today. Was Dr. Kimball at County Hospital? Uh, I don't have any comment on that one, but uh, Rob Belushi and Chris Candy may have a couple of things to add. Have the chronology straight here. The suspect was tried, convicted, incarcerated, escaped, presumed dead, and is presently at large in the city of Chicago. Is that correct, sir? All except the part about being presumed dead. Andrew Davis's 90s classic, The Fugitive, is very much alive. Listen up, ladies and gentlemen. This is too much movie. Our fugitives have been on the run for 90 minutes. Average foot speed over uneven ground, barring injuries, is 4 miles per hour. That gives us a radius of 6 miles. What I want from each and every one of you listeners is a hard target search in every gas station, residence, warehouse, farmhouse, handhouse, outhouse, and doghouse in that area. Checkpoints go up at 15 miles. Your fugitives and my co-host names are Dr... Rob Belushi, and Dr. Chris Candy. I'm Blake Howard. This is Too Much Movie. Welcome to Andrew Davis's 1993's Oscar-freaking-nominated Best Picture, The Fugitive. Gentlemen, what an absolute pleasure to be with you today. Woof, we are back. We have arrived. You I mean, all know what high regard we hold this scumbag, so I am personally <laughs> donating a bottle of 12-year-old scotch to whoever puts the collar on this quack. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, I, I didn't think, you know, the 90s... God, the 90s is just a sport. Like, it's just riches to be plundered. Right. Everywhere. And I continue to be blown away when we're even talking about diving into the film's that we want to talk about in this like endless list of these great movies and none more than the fugitive, because again, it was a weird time in the nineties where they were retrofitting TV for movies, mm -hmm. like going to IP for TV for movies. And now like we've completely done a 180 30 years later where every movie needs to be mined IP for television. And Holy hell does this movie hold up. It is just such a thrilling flick. Harrison Ford, Tommy Lee Jones, Joey Pants. I mean, it's just it's it's one of it's one of the most spectacular, entertaining, and like a movie that embraces you guys. I think I, I every single time I watch this, I'm just like, how did this happen? How how do they do this? It doesn't make sense. Yeah, it's it's a great film. I really enjoyed the rewatch. It's also like my go-to airplane movie. Uh, anytime I'm on an airplane, it seems that The Fugitive is always in the queue of uh, touchscreen classics. And 
I always throw it on <laughs> as, inten- re- as intended to watch it on the shitty tiny back of the seat screens. But again, it, 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 it falls into, you know, one of the phrases that this pod has been using, which I love is like passive viewing. Yes. And there aren't too many movies that I really can do that with all of these that we've talked about thus far are capable of doing that. They just don't all happen to be on the, you know, flight from Gainesville, Florida to Los Angeles <laughs> when I really, when I really need to like get out of the headspace of the reality of me being on that plane. So the fugitive has been viewed on, on many a travel with me. And uh, I will say, I also like to try and sync whomever I'm seating next to uh, at the same time. Hopefully I know them, but yeah, I, I, I love that. You're like, excuse me. Hi, I, I'm Chris. Um, I'd really appreciate if we could both watch The Fugitive together. <laughs> Gainesville's a tough hang, right? So let's just yeah. make this flight back to LA a much Dude, better we can, experience. Like, talk to each other about it. We can rip quotes. It'll be fun, you know? And no, I feel it's... like if you're leaving Gainesville, you know, you're probably leaving as a fugitive because <laughs> nobody stops in Gainesville and uh, you probably got locked up there. Exactly. Yeah, no. It's it's a great it's a great film and um, I, I I really really enjoyed it and yeah Rob and I were texting a little bit last night because we actually both rewatched this at the same time so that's always fun when I get that experience too yeah I, oh I yeah do, I do love on the too much movie rewatches when I start to get a, a feeling for what Rob like which character Rob's really feeling. And it, like the, the, the quotes just start pouring in. And because sometimes we're in different time zones, they're just pouring thick and fast. And I wake up to this thread of like 30 quotes of Rob just getting super excited filming stuff. It's, it's, it's a real pleasure. Rob, what's your experience of The Fugitive? I mean, this is a Chicago as hell movie. You, this, this feels like so oh, much yeah. in your wheelhouse. You know what? Um, that, that it's, I'm so glad you started with that. I'm so glad that uh, as soon as you get a clean shot, you take him out because <laughs> yeah. the, the few, uh, this movie came out when probably Chris, I think, what are you a year or two younger than me? Yeah. 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 I'm i uh, I'm 37. So, so 20 years younger than me, um, <laughs> but you know, and somehow Rob, was, Chris and I are the same age, Rob, and somehow you look younger than both of us. Yeah. And if you're saying that you're 57 years old, I'm just like, God damn it. This is only the uh, worst for me. Uh, the Faustian bargain that is the fugitive. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I was 12 or 13 when I was 13, when this movie came out, uh, you know, Chris was definitely starting to get into his prime movie watching. So as, yeah, as young movie watchers, this movie was seminal. But rewatching it, it's so it's such an interesting layer to talk about Chicago. First and foremost, the mm-hmm. first the first shot is the city at night. Mm-hmm. It's no characters. I mean, of course, it's establishing, but the last shot is the city at night, similar to Backdraft, which you know, whatever. But um, the the. Andrew Davis is from Chicago and and you can see that the city is so much a part of the world of this story. Yeah. And he, it's so, it's so fast. In fact, I was probably stealing this L map (laughs) when I was, you know, shortly after I saw this movie, this is a real L map. It's, it's, it's featured. Uh, That is the Kimball Brown line route. Rob is pointing to, 
Wait, wait, can you point to that again, yeah. Rob? We'll have to screenshot it for our audience. So yeah, so everyone it. knows every time we do this show, Rob <laughs> has a photo or, well, an actual L map. An L map, yeah, I got it. I got he the stole shot. from the, uh, there it is. <laughs> it's so yeah. This is so old, the pink line isn't even on yet, BT dubs. But um, the the a great joke, by the way, that Andrew Davis plays is, um, you know, Kimball's getting on the L at the Kimball Brown line stop and the Kimball Brown line sign is right behind him. But, oh. you know, it's a great metaphor of why we love Dr. Richard Kimball, because even though he is a doctor and wealthy and educated, he seamlessly blends into the streets of Chicago. He becomes one of those mm-hmm. uh, working un like non-complaining people uh, walking amongst the city of broad shoulders. Now there's only one Chicago centric image that we really don't see, which from Andrew Davis's point of view, which is the stockyards. And then on rewatch, I saw that the truck stop he stops in is called the Stockyard Truck <laughs> yes. Stop. Whoa. So he's aware. Okay. And Andrew Davis's Chicago is so different than than like John Hughes's Chicago. You know, like Ferris Bueller. It's like all these tourist traps, Wrigley Field, the Art Institute, all great Chicago places. But the Chicago of Andrew Davis's Fugitive is this the the streets of the city that workers are in, and and it's right. populated by diverse working people constantly in motion on the way somewhere in either bureaucratic spaces or working spaces, cavernous hallways, um, overpopulated hospital hallways, um, the locations. Let me, let me just start by all of the very specific references he makes. The first one we get is where he's going, which is area six at Belmont and Western. That's the, the precinct. Uh, the police precinct in Chicago. I'm not sure if there's actually a police precinct there anymore, but Belmont and Western do intersect. We see the apartment he rents from that old Ukrainian lady is very clearly in Ukrainian village in Chicago. You know, Sykes's apartment is on the South side. Like we, we have this, mm-hmm. we're not in Evanston. We're not in Wilmette. We're not in like these weird kind of John Hughes places. We're in working Chicago. There's, the Illinois Bell phone, which is if you grew up in Chicago, you used it all the time. I mean, obviously, there's no pay phones anymore. Next stop, Merchandise Mart. Like these are places that working people go. The Well Street Bridge, the establishing shot of the Wrigley Building when we're looking at the North Bank Club, which is uh, Dr. Nichols's tennis club. That's not a real place, but there is an East Bank Club in Chicago, <laughs> which is on, further down the river. And it gives us a chance to look up at the Wrigley Building. Um, which is such a beautiful historical place in Chicago. And I know Davis chose, I mean, I don't know, but the reason he picked that place for the marquee of the North Bank Club is so we could great, get that great, beautiful Wrigley building shot. Right. Um, all of the cars, you know, in Lower Wacker Drive, coming out of Lower Wacker Drive, looking out onto Daly Plaza or the Federal Building. And, what's the what's also, the road, Rob? Because you just got such a great topographic uh, understanding of Chicago. One of my favorite shots in the entire movie is Kimball on the L, and it's just it's a, such a seamless transition of him on the L, and then it actually leaps um, back to Daniel Roebuck's Biggs, who's one of Tommy Lee Jones's investigators, driving in his car 
alongside the L, that transition of like uh, from uh, the yeah. train where he's inside the train and the train is like whipping through. And then that instant beautiful cut of like, he's right parallel unseen happening. And there's Biggs driving the car, just sort of like a bit, you know, frustrated and lost running his fingers through his hair. Where is that? Cause that's one of my, my favorite bits of orientation geography from a director I think I've ever seen. And it just, that shot just jumped out at me the last, I watched this movie two times in a couple of days in preparation right. again for the show. Cause I just put it on again after I was like focused on it. Um, uh, yeah. Where is that? What's it's, that drive? it's such a, I, I think that's, I think that's down uh, Halstead yes. between um, North Avenue and like getting towards Orleans. You're cutting through what would be, you know, Cabrini green, type area um a little bit south heading towards the river i believe it's either that or up sheffield but i i i love that shot and it's such a great um marker that the the movie is always the the, the chase is always a parallel to what is happening and everyone is closer than they think they are that is like a major theme i picked up on in this whole movie is exactly that kind of edit there's so many scenes where every character who needs to evade someone is very easy to evade it and you can see the like pressure right around the corner but they unknowingly know that the person is getting away be it Kimball or Sykes there's always this element of evasion going on and it just feels very possible which gives you the viewer like this ability to just go along for the ride and sneak around Chicago with them it and you really do I mean this film um Every chance you can, every chance he gets, he puts some type of Chicago-specific marker in the dialogue or in location. Right. I mean, uh, there's the obvious, if they can die the river green, why can't they die blue, blue 365? That's <laughs> yeah. like what every Chicagoan says all the time. And then to have a great set piece through the St. Patrick's Day Parade is such a beautiful answer to Ferris Bueller's kind of fun romp through that where, where there's menace and fear but more so than that like there's small touches like the difference between the rooftops at the at the uh hilton chicago hilton at the end and the rooftops uh in you know sykes's neighborhood and stuff like that S very small touches sykes's apartment is across from a church and that's a small thing that feels like chicago because everywhere you live, it feels like there's a church down the street or around the corner. And that's something that feels like Chicago that makes this movie so different than like, say, Widows. Widows, great movie. I like it. it. Takes place in Chicago. At moments, it's successful. But often it just it feels like you're looking at the city through water or something like that. This right. feels like you're in Chicago all the time. There's um, there is. You know, Chicago at Hilton is huge. The, they name it the Balbo Stop, which is, I used to live off the Balbo Stop. <laughs> it's near the Hilton. You see the Daily Building all the time. The plaza that they're talking about is the Daily Plaza with the huge Picasso statue. And they mm -hmm. don't call it the statue. They call it the Picasso. Like, they give Chicago its just desserts. There's so many locations. Um, actual Cook County Hospital. But, but also... You're, you're in viaducts, you're in laundry rooms, you're in subterranean locker rooms. You're walking works. out of men's only hotels. That's one of the weird things I've never, like <laughs> such a day to think, men's only hotel. Oh, yeah. I was like, that's so funny. 
and that's in the loop, you know, it's, it's the Lake street, uh, stop. And it makes me think of, um, the fact that the city is such a clear character in this. He's saying, a, this is a pretty great subversive movie that feels just like, you know, uh, kind of a blockbuster, but it's about something much deeper, obviously. But it also says a lot about the city of Chicago. And that is, it is a town torn between what feels like hopeless, unending politics and the people, working people who live, strive to survive every Mm. day there. And how the mix of those things can often be um, heartbreaking and also, you know, they're not given the type of emphasis that that we should and 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 you see that with the 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 diversity in in the working class that we constantly see with Richard Kimball and what one of the reasons we love him that isn't stated like we fall in love with him in the beginning because we experience this heartbreak but we see how easily he assimilates into this everyday uh working without complaint you know, unentitled populace where we show up to do a job and we leave and he, he fits right in there. So uh, I'll talk more about Chicago later. I've I've spoken too much already, but (laughs) it, it is, it, it really feels like the Chicago you walk around or grow up in the business people, the working people, the buildings, the, the, the 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 fact that they chose the Chicago Hilton in that ballroom is like yeah. the, the epitome of like old school Midwestern wealth in the face of, you know, this very vibrant city that is m- oftentimes very segregated and mostly uh, built up by a uh, working class population that is kind of like what are these ornate buildings? You know, what is this right. like Conrad, the days of Conrad Hilton and all this stuff. So I don't know. I watching it as a Chicagoan made me fall in love all over again. Well, let's quickly, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back with the synopsis, which I think everyone knows. And then we're just going to dive in and, and try. And I don't even know how this is even going to be possible, but try and whittle <laughs> down. Um, a few more of the reasons that we love this movie and then finally dive into the categories. I don't even know how to get to two favorite scenes, two favorite quotes or two favorite characters because it's seriously changed between two viewings of this movie in as many days. Um, So let's take a quick break and let's do that. Wrongfully convicted of murdering his wife and sentenced to death Richard Kimball escapes from the law in an attempt to find her killer and clear his name. Pursuing him is a team of U.S. Marshals led by Deputy Samuel Gerard, a determined detective who will not rest until Kimball is captured. I don't care. As Kimball leads the Marshals through a series of intricate chases, he uncovers the secret behind his wife's death and struggles to expose the killer before he's recaptured or killed. Who the hell would have thought unless you're looking at it maybe as closely as we are that this movie is about the corruption of pharmaceutical companies right. and the lengths that they were willing to go to literally indiscriminately have people especially people of means and influence murdered uh in in 
creative and deceptive ways to get what they wanted. And it's a movie that's like happening right post eighties, peak early nineties. It's a movie that has something to say and it's just layered into this, you know, the, one of the most fantastic iconic plots of any piece of art that's ever come out of America. It wasn't me. It was the one arm man. Like what this movie is just a spectacle. I, I love it so much. Chris, tell me about, just like going back to this movie and like unpacking it and going, holy shit, this actually is about something. Yeah. I kind of like, we have been thinking about a lot of the films we've been talking about and their impact that they have on kind of culture. I think in me working on this podcast with you all guys, I've been thinking like, you know, where does this fit in in the timeline to where we've gotten to now? Yes. And I think that it's really interesting that, you know, my first note that I had on this movie is like, this feels like an early kind of true crime story. Like you get shows like The Shield and you get these kind of like TV shows that have major influence from movies like The Fugitive, especially a lot of that early setup. Like we're going to show you the crime. It's going to be in the first, you know, you know, 10 minutes of the movie. And we're going to have all of these details highlighted by these like snapshot imagery, kind of black and whites. And um, as I was watching that, I was just kind of going, all right, this, this feels very reminiscent of a lot of shows that I've seen, you know, throughout when this first came out. And the movie itself is again, like, so dense on so many levels in regards to like the location what we were talking about with Chicago. But it's also just like I was saying, it's a very passive watch. It's very easy. But then it also does this one thing that I don't know how many movies do do this in regards to like a whodunit quite caper, but we know that he's innocent from the beginning. Right there's no the question. Yes. We don't, there's no question that, that Kimball is innocent. So as an audience, we get to ride shotgun with him the entire time. And we know he's innocent and we are rooting for him. And it does this really great thing too, where, we're also rooting for Tommy Lee Jones in a way because he's a good guy too. You know, it's this unknown uh, antagonist that we can't quite figure out. And I think the film does such an incredible job at hiding that. Yeah, clearly there's a one-armed man, right? And we're going to get to that person eventually. But what is underneath that and the fact that it's this big pharmaceutical story, unbelievably clever because it does a job. When I was rewatching it last night, and I've seen this film countless times, um, you kind of feel like you know what you're in for in the first 15 minutes. Oh yeah, he's gonna, you know, get sentenced. He's gonna jump off the, you know, out of the bus, train. Oh yeah. You know, gotcha. he's, gonna, he's gonna, all these scenes I'm just kind of brushing over that are amazing. You know, he's gonna have that famous, I don't care scene, which is a great scene. You but, feel like that's at the middle of the movie when you remember it. And it's in the it's, first like 15 minutes. Of a yeah, two-hour movie. <laughs> exactly. And, and and that was what I felt was the, the gift of this film is it does an incredible job at holding the big story, which is that there's this corruption and that this pharmaceutical company is basically hiring hitmen to take people out who, um, you know, to garner influence. And again, it's just, it's so interesting how these films that are in the 90s resonate so well now. I'm also wondering, you know, we don't have to fully get into it, but is this some kind of, uh, you know, is this influenced current thought? I'm not quite sure, but they're the big bad guy and that's for sure. And I, I just really enjoyed the um, structure of this film. And one last note, trench coats. 
There are so many awesome <laughs> trench coats. They're so like that first scene, everyone's in this big brooding, like nineties coat. And, and I was remember those back, coats, dude. Yeah. I was thinking, uh, co just cold enough in Australia. There's no, there's no proper trench coat weather, you know, yeah. really anywhere in Australia, maybe Melbourne, but Chicago is a city where it's just like, if you're not wearing a coat, what's going on? It's freezing out. And there. Our, our first guest from LA Confidential mentioning how they all needed to be mugs. They had needed to be faces. <laughs> this film has that. All of the police and uh, we all, you know, definitely can talk to the graces of Ron Dean and Ron Dean and oh. Casola. Jo Joseph A. Casola, is that the actor? Yeah, yeah. yes, yes. Casola, I think, yeah. He looks. You take the shot. You get a clear shot, you take it. He's, yeah. you know, just to. to to flag it, he's like my unsung hero. Him and Joey Pants. <laughs> him and Joey Pants are like my two kind of like the secret weapon characters in this movie. But um, Casola, 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 he's so Chicago, like just reeks of uh, I'm a cop who's gonna throw. Yeah, when he's when he's interrogating him. So what the one armed man look like? Yeah, okay. What was his skin color? <laughs> it's just the color it's his so, eyes. What was the color of his eyes? It was the color of his hair. Like he's it's like, ugh. Anyways. It's got all the trimmings, you know, it's got all the trimmings. And, and this is why I think, why I hope people who listen to this end up like getting influenced to go back and check out some of the movies that we talk about. But like researching this movie really for the first time, like diving into it, there are so many amazing stories of, despite being a huge movie and a huge cast and a quick turnaround that this movie had to be, that scene with Joseph Casala and Ron Dean was improvised. Harrison Ford didn't know the questions that were going to ask him. He just kind of knew the oh. reaction that he oh, had wow. to give. And so that oh. question, what color was his eyes? That's Kasala like asking random questions while he's in the midst of this emotional breakdown that that question, what color is his eyes? I'm just like, this guy, you know how we say that we, we feel right from the outset that Richard is innocent. And we kind of know it, even though there's like this slight imperceptible, are we, aren't we, could absolutely go both ways. But like, we feel like so many times after rewatching it, he's innocent. But that question, what color is his eyes? It's like, well, if you did fight this guy and you were up close and personal, what color was his eyes? What color was his hair? How tall was he? You know, like it just, that, the organic nature of those scenes and then watching these actors pour out and the more research you do. And, you know, we have to, we have to thank because so many like, principal cast are actually in Andrew Davis's extremely successful under siege before and his relationship with Tommy Lee Jones, Tommy Lee Jones just improvised this script. Like he just improvised so wow. much Gerard. Um, and I, I don't care was his, right? I don't care was his, he changed the line. And, yeah. and so that whole thing of like in this massive movie that is so intricately put together, that is so, you know, laser focused in the editing. And so hyper specific to all these really tactile Chicago locations. You've got these scenes that are unfolding where guys are like given the f full freedom to create magic and to, to just give performances and do like interesting things that then like stick with you. And you don't know why they're so good or why they're so perfect, but man, that line, what color is his eyes? Like that scene is just out of control. Threats at work, coworkers, staff at the hospital, anything like that at all. No. Anything unusual going on as far as uh, phone calls, people hanging up, uh, maybe uh, people coming to the door, tradespeople? Not that I know of. No, Doc, uh, I'm in this fight with this guy with the one arm. 
Did it happen upstairs or downstairs? Upstairs. Uh -huh. And he had, which was his right or left arm? He had that little gimmick on it. Right arm. Was it one of those with the, the hooks or? No, he had a, he had a cosmetic hand. The security system in your house, that's a uh, pretty good system you got there. Anyone have the coding and then besides you and your wife? Our maid knows what the code is and has a key to the house. Those scratches on your neck, Doc, uh, did the one-armed guy do that? Helen scratched me when I was trying to move her. Was that before or after you had the fight with the one-armed guy? I told you. Do you own a gun, Doc? Do you own a gun? Yes, we have a gun in the house. Has it registered your name? Yes. Where do you usually keep that gun? It's the one that you own. It's in the Helen's table. By the side table. You keep a large amount of jewelry in the house? Well, no. This fingerprints are all over the lamp, the gun, and the bullets. And the good doctor's skin is under her fingernails. Your wife, she's, she's got the money in the family, doesn't she? Helen comes from a wealthy family. Yes. Is she insured? Yes, she is. Who's the beneficiary? I am. The sole beneficiary? Yes. Financially, you're not going to be hurting after this then, are you? I mean, she was worth quite a bit of money. Are you suggesting that I killed my wife? Are you saying that I crushed her skull and that I shot her? How dare you? When I came home, there was a man in my house. I fought with this man. He had a mechanical arm. You find this man. You find this man. How tall is he? How tall is he? from me. Oh, Jesus. What, what do you weigh? God! What color was his hair? What color were his eyes? We can't help you until you help us. And the scene is so great, like, you know, just to piggyback on what Chris was saying about Ron Dean and Joseph Casala, is like, these guys look and sound like Chicago. Mm. And when we're in that scene, they look and feel like Chicago cops who are not approaching the situation with the stakes that the victim, in this case, Kimball, is feeling about it. And, and it makes you feel so trapped. It turns to him to that signature line of like, are you suggesting that I killed my wife? You yeah. know, that are you? Yeah. I mean, I want to do the whole thing, but, <laughs> but we fall in love. It's another thing about, I mean, the, the world feel, again, the world feels real, populated by people who look like they inhabit the world. And right. we fall in love with Richard Kimball in the first 10 minutes because we watch him just, it's all inside, interior. There is no acting. There is no um, protestation. It's, it's all him until he blows. And he's so likable at that charity uh, ball and and then we watch how beautiful seal award is and how 
fresh and vivacious their marriage is and how it's all right. taken away from him. It's incredible. I do, I do have to shout out friend of the show, uh, Maria Lewis, uh, my, what, my best friend. She's an author. She's a prodigious writer. Uh, last night while I was watching The Fugitive, I was tweeting and she wrote this. She said this sentiment to me so many times while I'm watching it. She's like, what I wouldn't give to play the dead wife in that still. Um, and that's a credit <laughs> to Seal Ward. <laughs> We've always talked about it. She's like, she's like, if you ever make a movie, Blake, I want to be the dead wife in flashbacks. Like that, like you have to cast me as the dead wife. It's my dream role. And I think Seal Ward does it justice. But I love what you said. We, Chris, I'm just piggybacking off of what you said just before. We come into this movie almost with absolute certainty that he is innocent. Yet in that interrogation scene, those guys take the same information that we have, like in the scene, um, uh, Kasala and Rondine, they take that information and straight away they're like, rich doctor, corrupt, he's apart from us, he's not us. Yeah. He's He's got something to hide here rather than looking at him as a human being, like they like eye the situation and their eye test says, this guy's a crook. This guy's a bad, this guy's a quack. And so I feel like we get some of the sentiment in this strange way of like, there's a suspicion from the cops about some of these dastardly deeds that are being done by doctors, pharmaceuticals. There's like the early distrust of like malpractice coming up in the society. And so it's just this weird thing where like straight away, right from the outset, they're like, nah, he's bad. He's bad news. Well, I really wanted to to get to this because it, it was something that when I was rewatching that scene specifically, it's a very important scene. I think it was an intentional play to play that a bit ambiguous. Yes. Because it isn't certain from Harrison Ford's performance that he's innocent. He's not like grabbing them by the shoulders and going, are you crazy? I didn't kill my wife. Yes. He plays it in this way that maybe he's being emotionally overwhelmed. You know, there's an overwhelmed sensation that comes across, but I almost wonder if it was played to look like bad acting. It's not bad acting. I think it's intentional, but I think it's played as a motivator for then you get that cut scene to the other side of the glass where the guy goes, book him. It just looks disingenuous. It doesn't look like he's telling the truth in that scene. And I, I think that that was an intention to kind of play it um, overwhelmed and the overwhelm was what actually made it seem like he was not telling the truth to the cops to make that scene basically work. Because again, I also wrote down, I was going like high stakes. This just is like right out the gate. Like he's, he's, he goes, he, he's not, he's not threatened to go to jail. He's threatened to be murdered. Like he's going <laughs> to yeah. have, uh, he's yeah. gonna, the death penalty is death brought upon him. On. Yeah. So it's well, a very, and, and you're so right. Like we're, we identify with Richard and then we're put in this interrogation room. And then we watch Richard, like you say, through the two way glass with the other cops making the ruling. And we've, I, I mean, I love his performance here, but we feel how helpless and despairing he is. Like, how dare you? When I come home, the man, there was a man in my house. I fought with this man. Like he's going through, he had a mechanical like, he can't find, arm. <laughs> you find this man. You find, I mean, it's like, what, what else is there to say when they're because, asking questions about him getting rich? And it, it ties in 
because what Robbie I didn't overall, he ahead. didn't know that what they were going to ask him. That's isn't that the yeah. isn't that the most brilliant thing, Chris? Because you're talking about that thing of like he's not prepared. This is not going to script. He doesn't even know what this is. He thinks they're logging details, right? Like with their notebooks, going, what color was the arm? Where was the where was the ortho, like uh, the the um, where was the the joint? What color was his hair? What did you know? What did right. it look like? he thinks that they are? There's a presumption of innocence on his part, and it's only like a moment or two into that conversation where he's like that that caught off it's guard. It's the insurance like, line. Yeah, like the insurance. He's like, wait, wait, what? When I got home, there was a man. Like he then has yeah. to start the the inter- Oh shit! This is. Wait, they think it's me. No, when I got home, there was a man in my house. And I, I mean, Harrison Ford at this time, some of his most interesting is, performances in his career. Just so uh, Oh, my yeah. favorite. Blake, are you saying that this line is also improvised? Yeah, so Ford, they kind of knew what information had to pass, but he didn't know any of the questions they were going to ask him. So his reaction, are you suggesting that I killed my wife? Are you suggesting that I crushed her head and shot her? That's all. No, I think I think that his lines of what he had to pass, I believe, like whether they improved it and then they they screenwrote it because the screenwriters are David Twoe, he's one of the credited screenwriters for this one, as is Jeb Stewart. But Jeb Stewart was basically on set every day, taking rehearsed lines or doing whatever, and then rewriting the script on the set on the flyers they were doing yeah. it. Um, but all the questions they asked and the order they were going to ask them was all completely improvised. So then Ford has to react knowing that he has got to it. pass certain information. Um, so then when he realizes that and he's got to act and just do it, he has no clue what they're going to ask and then how he's going to react at that point. How dare you? Yeah. I mean, it ties so to the overall metaphor of Chicago and this story, which is that the system will, through uh, profit or laziness, destroy the individual. Yes. And the only way is for you to work outside of the system. And that's true for um, Dr. Kimball and, you know, Deputy Gerard, because the, the system is so unforgiving. It, at first, Gerard, you know, I'm a tool. I don't care all that, ki- all that stuff. But even in the hospital, you know, he saves the, kid li- the kid's life and yeah. the doctor played by Julianne Moore calls security on him for stepping out of his bounds um, the, the devil McGregor just wants their new drugs. So they will, uh, sacrifice human test patients to get their drug. You know, the Chicago right. PD is lazy and inefficient and only looks to the easiest possible story without digging. And then, which, you know, extrapolates and escalates into, Dr. Kimball is a cop killer and they're going to shoot him on site at, you know, at this famous historic hotel. Like in all cases, it's the system of Chicago and the system of capitalism against innocent people. And one of them is an instrument of this system, Gerard, whose story is to learn that he must be more than a tool to act, to actually be a successful tool dispensing justice. And the other one is the victim of this system who has an entitled and privileged position within this system and it, and as yet is not spared by it um, (laughs) to exonerate his own innocence. And it's just, it's interesting that being a heteronormative white man, he can breeze through 
certain places like hospitals and stuff with that impl- like when he's walking out and with, <laughs> yeah uh, after shaving with the coffee great shaving cup scene and, too. great oh, shaving yeah. scene when the shaving scene's like it makes me want to shave <laughs> just like he's so because he the beard is there but then he's you, you see him you see our guy you see harrison you know what i mean it's yeah. like it, i just wanted to comment on that That's the like studio cool was mad that he had a beard at the beginning of the movie ah they were mad they were like we want to see harrison ford's face and they're like guys you tr- trust us you're going to see his face but the whole point is that he i mean i don't think he's ever looked hotter personally like he the harrison ford beard hotness level is is a, is, a, is 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 <laughs> It's, it's maybe says the man it's... with the beautiful bushy full beard. <laughs> yeah, I might be biased. I, might I be bi- cannot grow a beard. <laughs> I might be biased, but I, I he's never been hotter. But uh, no, the, he looks amazing. But the whole point is that then there's just that that split second of like, like have we met recognition that like so many people cast their eyes on him? You just see that like, oh, is that? Oh, is that like you just there's just like split second like delayed recognition yeah. and all those things. But I love I love that scene. He's like hours ago might be hurt. Uh, what does he look like? Six one one eighty, brown hair, brown eyes, beards. Anyone like that around? Every time I look in the mirror, pal. Except for the beard, of course. Doc. Yeah. First of all, it's great because he uh, he always plays in to the the routine and ritual of working people. Like when the mm-hmm. cop says, you know, in, instead of ignoring the cop and running, he uh, in, interacts with the cop. And then when the cop tells him to zip up his zipper, he says thanks with a smile. But also, my point about after he shaves, he walks out and he's carrying the coffee and something to eat, and it he looks so doctory. Even yeah, though he's a fugitive, <laughs> I know. I know it's that like scene incredible, is... <laughs> and um, you know, I no, know. I yeah, I I I know there there is something about that sequence, and I was thinking about that sequence of him, the shaving, you know, shaving, refueling. You know, he's this is his first kind of um, ref, you know, re, refuel station on his marathon. He um, oh, and so eggs. he's got. Yeah, he's eating the eggs and he's got the sandwich and the coffee and he almost gets caught. Um, but I, I think that it's just, you know, I, again, like that was, you know, he we're you know, he's getting ready to go out there in the world. This is the first change that he's made. He doesn't have the beard anymore. And again, I think all these films I've been thinking of, especially with The Fugitive, they're pre-internet more or less. So you could get away with, you know, evading the cops by just shaving your beard. I mean, that that wouldn't play this day and age, but it does in a movie like this. He just shaves, you know, and then all of a sudden he doesn't look like the photo that just got faxed into the hospital. So there 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 is that liberty that's being able to be granted in this film. And these, you know, one of the things I was thinking about with with all the movies that we watch is um, we all love movies where there is some kind of audio EQ scene where they have to like get playback <laughs> tape and then drop out because when they're trying to figure out where he is later in the film, I'm kind of jumping. This is not a therapy session, Chris. I can't believe you're starting to dig into maybe my subconscious and sharing it to the world. I love an audio EQ scene. Oh my we God. We love a scene. We just love a scene where there is someone sitting at a soundboard where they drop out because I, I, I went to school and college for sound design 
And I remember being in sound design going like, you can't just do that. You can't just drop out the like background noise. And then all of a sudden like have, but that's movie magic. And um, it, it really is just such a, a great sequence. It was just because it was in sneakers and then it shows up again <laughs> in the fugitive. Why did you run? Running only makes you look guilty. I wasn't worried about appearances, Walter. Tell me where you are so I can come meet you and you can turn yourself in. I'm not going to turn myself in. I need help. I need money. I might be crazy, but that train sounds You're like an L. Hey, Lewis doesn't have an elevated train. How do you know it's an elevated train? You know, I think he's right. I lived under an L for 20 years. No, well, then you can explain the difference in the sound of an elevated train as opposed to a train that's running along the ground. You must have ears like an eagle. Play that back. I want to hear the sound of an elevated train. All right, wait a minute. Now, what cities have L's? Uh, New York's got an L. Philly. We do. We got an L. Milwaukee's got an L. Hold it right there where the lawyer says that he sounds guilty. There's bells in the background. There's a guy on a PA. I want to drop everything but the guy on the PA. Can you do that? Yeah, I'll try it. Hold on, Sam. Okay. Walter, this is Richard. Richard? Jesus. Yeah, right there. Why did you run? Running or anything? What's he saying? It's like next uh, stop. Sound like next stop. Do that again. Why did you run? Running or makes you look guilty. Next stop. Merchandise mark. Son of a bitch, our boy came home. That bell, that bell is the bell on the Well Street Bridge. It's six blocks away. I knew that was an elevated train. Oh, yeah, big dog, you're never wrong. Okay. I'm going to call the CPD. This is your Chicago fire. Sammy. Yeah. When I die, I want to come back just like you. No, you mean happy and handsome? I'll notify the press. No press. Right, no press. Yeah, this, this film is, uh, again, like a great candidate for too much movie because, like, these scenes have so much information that's being given to the audience. Um, and, and these are the ones that are in between the big action sequences. You know, as I was going to bed last night, I was watching a Simpsons episode and it was the episode where um, Homer gets the sugar and uh, there's a, as a not like, and he's a sugar baron and he's guarding the sugar. And there's a fugitive joke inside of that where Millhouse is he's uh, running away, <laughs> running away. Running away. Gerard. <laughs> yeah. And Gerard goes, I, I didn't do it. I didn't do anything. I don't care. I don't care. He kind of has a little bit more of a Ned Flanders <laughs> voice, but. I'm telling you, I didn't do anything. I don't care. <gasps> yeah, it was. It was a that was a a, a mastermind moment, as my friend would say, but. Yeah, this, this film is is um, dense, is, is the best way to put it, because it just um, has a lot to offer. Before we run into our two favorite scenes, I just have to talk about the introduction scene, because I think that you talked about, Rob, of like the Chicago cops are like, you know, policing is about convenience. And I love movies that like actually really ram the point home that sometimes like not every cop is going to dig into like the motivations it's about hard evidence what can be proved like quickly and i think the line that i always think about now it's in scorsese's departed where alec baldwin's character asks matt damon he's like qui bono who benefits and matt damon responds qui gives a shit it's got a fucking bow yeah. on it right right and that this movie has that that essence of like qui gives a shit like it's got a bow on it like this guy was there right. blood him motivation for insurance 
all cracks of dirt bags. Which, it's got a fucking bowl. Which Gerard starts to unravel when he's yes. got Ron Dean in his office. And he's like, why? So he did it for the insurance money. I'm like, he's yeah. Rich. He's like, but he's already a doctor. He's rich. <laughs> He'd be more rich. And you just see the thinness of that. The you know. story, yeah. Yeah, and so, yeah. but I think right in the opening scene, what you love about Gerard and why I think you said, Chris, like we're rooting for Gerard too, is in that opening scene, he's just like, I don't, his whole thing of, I don't care about the posture. I don't care about your stupid moment in the sun here, like interviewing a person. I don't care whether you're getting your spotlight because you want to have your heroic moment. What happened? What happened? Like, he's like ruthless and just completely pragmatic about, I don't care about all this ephemera. What happened? And he's like, whose fault was it? Well, I guess it was mine, sir. I shot him. He just hangs the phone up. Like right from that first scene where he's like, go down there, look at this, go down there, look at this. And like, even to poor Tom Wood, who plays um, Billy, Billy Newman, who's like, he's like, Billy, what are you doing? I'm thinking, well, can you think me up a coffee with it? like just everything about him I just I, he's just right from that outset you're like yeah like if there's anyone that's gonna start finally seeing through all of this bullshit that has ensnared richard and it's like now he's drowning in this quagmire it is gerard because like every person he looks at he just applies this like UV lens of his eyes. And he's like, that person's telling a lie here. What are they covering up? Like, and he, and he's great team. I love his team. His team oh, yeah. is yeah. just. When they come on 10, the scene. A hundred out of a hundred, whatever is the top marks for a great team. And just the way he deploys them to do all their skills um, around well, him. is just so wonderful. He's so like, we, we've been looking at a system that's, that's based on, you know, incompetence. And then Gerard bursts on the scene. He is so acutely competent and in command. I mean, it's like you're saying like, well, look at this leg irons. Usually well, yeah, you the, like to see legs in there. With the Richard <laughs> Riley. That, yeah. The, the fact that he, Richard Riley is the guard. Is that how I used to say his last name? Real. Yeah. Richard, R- Richard real. real. Yeah. Richard yeah. real. Um, I actually worked with once. Um, Me too. He, yeah, I did. I did. Um, on a uh, he has an uh, IMDb and a half. Doesn't the nicest he? guy in the world. He's got no, an he's, IMDb that is like he amazing. wants to just work. His his thing is he wants to work and loves making stuff. So he's awesome. So What's he did a there? project. Yeah, he 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 did a project for a friend of mine that I happened to be in, and and I got to meet him. But he um. That that's exactly it. That scene with Tommy Lee Jones and uh, Real is like he's going up against you know corrupt security guards really quickly. He's wanting to lie, and that that's it in a nutshell. That that it, you just said it. It's 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 Care kind to change of, your bullshit story. <laughs> exactly, and <laughs> yeah. and yeah, it's it's just like and I love that there's a TV camera. I love there's a TV camera right behind Gerard's head where he's like, "Can to change your bullshit story?" and like. This is a U.S. Marshal on probably national TV uh, that's just saying, what's your bullshit story now, huh? The bus rolled over several times for a I don't know if I passed out or what. When I looked up, the train was bearing down on us. Fast. I don't know how. Uh, it's still kind of hazy, but somehow I grabbed him and, and I pushed him out of the bus. You're a brave man. You could have both been killed. Yeah, I know. 
But Pam, he's my partner. He would have done the same for me. Excuse me, Sheriff. I'm Deputy United States Marshal Samuel Gerard. I'd like to talk uh, to you. I'll be with you in just a minute. Okay. One more time, just for the record. Uh, these three are dead. Yeah. And uh, this one. Everything happens so fast. I... No, I don't think he made it. Well, looks like you came a long way for nothing. Uh, with all due respect, uh, Sheriff Rollins, I'd like to recommend checkpoints on a 15-mile radius at I-57, I-24, and over here whoa, on whoa, Route whoa, 13 whoa, east whoa, of Chester. Whoa, 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 wait a minute. Uh, the prisoners are all dead. And the only thing checkpoints are going to do is get a lot of good people frantic around here and flood my office with calls. Well, shit, Sheriff. I'd hate to see that happen, so I guess I'll take over your investigation. <laughs> on what authority? Governor of the state of Illinois, the United States Marshal's Office, 5th District, Northern Illinois. All right, fine. Uh, you want jurisdiction over this mess? You got it. Okay, boys, gather around here and listen up. Uh, we're shutting it down. Wyatt Earp's here to mop up. Before you funny. go, we're going to need Wyatt Earp. Excuse me, Sam. Oh, wow, gee whiz, look here. You know, we're always fascinated when we find leg irons with no legs in them. Who the hell the keys, sir? Me. Where are those keys at? I don't know. Care to revise your statement, sir? What? Do you want to change your bullshit story, sir? He might have got out. He might have got out. What the hell is this? A minute ago, you're telling me he's part of the wreckage, right and now he might have got out? Fire truck. Listen up, ladies and gentlemen. Our fugitive has been on the run for 90 minutes. Average foot speed over uneven ground, barring injuries, four miles an hour. That gives us a radius of six miles. What I want out of each and every one of you is a hard target search of every gas station, residence, warehouse, farmhouse, hen house, outhouse, or doghouse in that area. Checkpoints go up in 15 miles. Your fugitive's name is Dr. Richard Kimball. Go get him. And that's why we love him. Yes. We're, put, we're, we're comparing him to that um, sheriff who is only interested in, you know, uh, media attention and an easy story. And his, his partner says, care to revise your statement. And Richard Reels, like, what? what? And, and he translates it from <laughs> the legalese of the state to the common man of care to change your bullshit story right <laughs> so we love him and he's he is the ultimate balance to richard kimball yeah. right kimball is contained interior soft-spoken effective humane uh gerard is garrulous part of a group constantly commanding always looking you know aggressive you know he he kills a man uh, in this and is unapologetic about it. Um, but viciously loyal, like they balance each other out so well. Well, um, they're both it's... going for, they're both going for truth. And I think that that's the, the bond between the two. They're both going for the truth. And but not initially. No, because, because Tommy Lee Jones through his, his method, he gets to the truth and he just didn't have that information. He's not someone who's going to blindly believe a guy at the end of a aqueduct or whatnot, you know, he's, he's you're right. His method is what uh, 
takes him to his transformative character path because his yeah. method is based in fact. And when the facts aren't aligning, he searches deeper, even though he says, I- I'm not putting together a puzzle, you know? When he's not putting away the puzzle and you see Andreas Katsoulis who plays Sykes, that moment that he meets him, he goes, he's dirty. Like you just, he's, like, yeah, he yeah, straight that's, away that's, walks out with the guys. He's dirty. You stay on the house. You fu- you go, Billy, go look for this. He's dirty. Let's go. Like, in a, and, he, and he pulls along Cosmo. He's like, you, you're with me, Cosmo. Like, he's like, they just he go knows in there. It. The sight test, he just smells it, and he's just like, well, yeah, he's dirty. But that's that's, that's enough. And that's the end of the movie. They're riding in a car together, and he takes the handcuffs on and gives them hand warmers. You know, he's taking they're, – they're now together. The truth has been realized. The hunt's over, you know, and, and he's chasing the truth. I guess maybe I'm thinking of this in the moment. He's chasing the truth, and he finally catches it mm. at the very end of the movie. So it, it's just – it's it's yeah, I, I, I find that that – dynamic you don't often see in movies where you have kind of your antagonist is also your protagonist <laughs> you know it's like uh it's it's well, yeah he is the one who is most changed honestly yeah. yes because his first goal is is the fugitive his second goal is justice you know and what he's his first iteration of justice is catching this fugitive but the larger his larger understanding of justice becomes what is truthful and that is you know made very clear when dr nichols is making his keynote speech and says let me be dishonest i'm sorry honest he corrects himself (laughs) in the end there and it's 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 all about seeing truth and lies and devil and mcgregor are liars for profit the chicago pd are liars for convenience you know you've got to sift through these things and it's it's just incredible. Whereas Kimball, his story is pretty clear, although it changes from, you know, being chased to then leading who he is does not change, which is a heartbroken, falsely accused man seeking the truth. And my favorite, can, can we do our favorite let, let's, shot? Let's, let, let's take it. Let's take a quick break and then we'll come back okay. to our absolutely favorite scenes but i think the other thing just before we go to the break that i just want to say is isn't it like miraculous when you put maybe two of the greatest actors ever is a surprise 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 you put two of the greatest actors ever with a cast that is so overwhelmingly stuffed with great character actors around them just how good movies can be like i'm just shocked that this movie is a two-hander with Tommy Lee Jones and Harrison Ford. Like in 1993, yeah, this might've been cool. And obviously Tommy Lee Jones' performance then garners the most award recognition and all those sorts of things. But in 2022, seeing these two guys right at this beautiful, different like career trajectories, you know, Ford's as famous as he's ever been in his whole life. Tommy Lee Jones is like really on the up and up as far as like a, a recognizable figure. He's He's been toiling, just doing fantastic work in a whole bunch of movies all throughout the 80s and the 90s. And I just look at this and I'm like, oh, yeah, this is the uh, – how good is it paying for great people and getting great performances and, sure. and caring enough to like pay – huge movie stars to be in your movie because they like change the whole dynamic of the the movie. Chris's point about like Richard Reel and all these character actors, besides the top two tentpole performances, everyone else 
as amazing as they are actors, they all look like real people. Yes. None of them look like yeah. actors. From Richard Reel to the guy reading the paper on the train with the fur, you know, collar. Oh, I coat love that jacket. I'm, I'm so glad Chris is wearing it while we're recording. <laughs> to good, real baby. newscasters asking the questions of the police to, you know, a young, angelic, ch- cherubic Dave Pasquese pointing out the actual. That was him, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. The inanity of the of the whole police thing. So this guy was, you know, found guilty, escaped, presumed dead, back in Chicago. Like he points out the ridiculousness of the whole thing, but everyone looks like they not. A, and just before we go to the break, when when uh, Kimball leaves the the frame in the parade, and he takes off his his coat and he's got the green hat on, and he leaves. Davis holds on two parade goers. One guy in a leather three quarter length coat with a mustache and a bear's hat and a lot of chin. And then he goes out of frame to another guy with like a bum equipment uh, sweatshirt, also a mustache and a hat. And it's like two of the most like Chicago guys that you would see at the exchequer bar, uh, 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 you know, on uh, what, what street is that? I want to say Wells, but anyway, everyone looks like they fit and, it's just beautiful. All right, let's take a quick break and then we're going to come back to our two favorite scenes. All right, gentlemen, before we dive into our two favorite scenes, I want to ask you, did you know that they never planned or had permits for that famous St. Paddy's Day Parade? Really? I did not know that. They shot, so all the stuff around it, when Kimball goes to visit one of the men with the prosthetic on his list and those sorts of things, all, all of that stuff is all very orchestrated and planned. But what I love that you said, Robin, I was, I wasn't, the reason I ask is because in the research, you see people recognize Harrison Ford walking through the parade but you think it's people maybe recognizing Kimball because people turn and it makes sense because they just shot it. They took film cameras down because obviously there's newscasters and news cameras. So they just went down there and they went, oh, there's some Paddy's Day parades on. Let's use that as a centerpiece. And they literally like lo-fi guerrilla filmmaking just went down and shot the thing. And so when people are looking and seeing, you know, Gerard as Tommy Lee Jones, and there's this like weird recognition on people's faces. It's people recognizing Tommy Lee Jones, and it's people recognizing Harrison Ford walking through the streets of Chicago and being like, "Fuck, is that, is that Han Solo? Is that Indiana Jones? Is that is that Harrison Ford? Like, what are we? Is it Rick Deckard? Like, what are we doing?" I just can't believe again wow. another one of those things in this movie that you learn in the research that is just supremely impressive. That uh, the centerpiece of this movie, one of the most dynamic, wonderful chase slash anti-chase scenes because there's no like thrills spills whatever it's just like someone evading someone in a crowd ultimately was just spontaneity and going oh wow like we're shooting at this time in chicago st patty's day parade is such a quintessential chicago thing we're not going to probably get permits for it let's just go down and do it as low fi as it gets 
It just speaks to the, you know, the magic of filmmaking that you can still do that, you know, and that can come, you know, there are, in, in making things, I think that there's this desire for everything to be taken care of and covered and insured and all that stuff. And there's like a world for that, but then there's this through line between an indie film and then a big budget blockbuster, like the fugitive, where it's like, can we just take these guys and go shoot this real quick? <laughs> you know? Yeah. And, 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 and that chemistry and that magic is really, is really brought forth because you're right. That, that parade is probably one of the more famous things of Chicago culture and, and the city. It's definitely, you know, on the top list of things that happens there. And, and, um, I always think of, I, I think of his wardrobe too, in that scene, he's very working class. He's wearing these like green Dickies and a zip up hoodie and, his wardrobe speaks volumes from all of the various genres he's in. Also, the other thing that kind of blows my mind with that movie, which also speaks to that this this parade is a year has gone by since he's gone missing. You know, he's been like, they don't really, they, they drop that, but he's been missing for a year. Like a year has gone by since he has disappeared. Is that correct? No, I think, I think it's a little, it's a, it's a little bit less, but I think the dates start to reinforce around, like they start to do clever tricks in the production design around the parade where they're like, say, oh, it's March now. It might be like a month or so that he's gone missing, but like he's like, oh, making, okay. he, they, they make, they make March significant for the St. Paddy's Day parade. I think like even one of the dates in the re in the research has pointed out, but also like from memory last night, watching it again, it's like one of the days they go, oh, it's the 15th of March. So you know that like it's close to the St. Paddy's Day Parade, but it's got not it. Okay. Yet. So they play around with that a little bit. But he, you know, he's been incarcerated for almost a year. Like that's, that's what the, it was. So in the transportation, okay. his actual time on the run, much shorter, but yeah, he's incarcerated. So like when he gets out and this opportunity arises, that is also like one of those big motivating factors. Like he's been sitting in a prison waiting, waiting to be taken to the death penalty. And now he's right. a chance. Got it. Okay, got it. That makes sense then. Yeah, I. Well, and what's I, so it's so great too because to to go shoot in Chicago without a permit is like, it's like a fun. Andrew Davis gets away with like, Chicago is one of the most. We will take our pound of flesh. Like, if you want to put a sign up off Michigan Avenue, you have to have like ten. You've got to pay bribes to aldermen. Like, <laughs> there's no way you're getting around paying the city. And Andrew Davis ran out, and you can tell because he shot that one corner where Citibank and Florsheim is. You know, for a lot of that cat and mouse between Gerard and Kimball, uh, where he's jumping up, and the two guys I've previously mentioned, and Kimball pulls his uh, jacket off and exits. It's all like shot two different ways at this one intersection, which I, I think is like is at Michigan Avenue and. Um, lake maybe but uh it could be on state street it could be state street and further down um i forget where the floor time shoes is but um i love rob is like the google street view of this movie yeah it's he's so our, good he's our, i love uh, he's, <laughs> he's like, watching, watching watching your internal map of this movie is so cool it's such, i love it it's, well, not, it's a, such a like lovely unintended awesomeness about this chat right about See, here's Roosevelt. So when they're talking Balbo, that's off the red line, not yeah. the, uh, and the red line is here. Red line, red line would be subterranean. So he's on the L at Balbo, but Balbo is not um, elevated. So that was incorrect. 
but Balbo's down here and then Grant Park's down here, you know, which you see because the yeah. Hilton Towers is across from uh, Millennium Park now and Grant Park and all that. But, um, all right, but it's gen- great, man. All right, gentlemen. Chris, let, hit us with your two favorite scenes. Yeah, I, I, I've been thinking about it and they both involve Tommy Lee Jones. I think um, they, um, you know, I think this also kind of encompasses some of my favorite lines, but, you know, when he is talking to his, his partner and he says, I don't bargain. I can't hear anything. My, my ear is, uh... I can't believe you did that. You think I should have bargained with that guy? Yeah. I do. You could have missed. You could have killed me. Yeah. How bad's that ear? It's terrible. I'm going to have permanent hearing damage. Let me see it. Can you hear what I'm saying now? Yeah. You know that? Yeah. Good. Okay. That's such like a awesome <laughs> acting scene. It's just it's visually really interesting. He's dressed like a homeless person, you know, and he's his 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 partner is like um so shocked, you know, he just plays the part so well where he's just like so unbelievably shocked that Gerard would do that would threaten his life. And, and it just, he enforces his, I don't bargain. That is just such that I think like what steals the movie and what kind of like grabbed me in deeper with this film was Tommy Lee Jones. And and the second scene is the one with, I didn't know. Well, no, actually I was shocked to find out that was Dave Pesquese. Cause I, I was watching that going, is that for the listeners? Um, TJ and Dave is a very famous improv team. And uh, Dave Pesquese is, is basically an improv god. So that's that's another nod to Chicago <laughs> improv in Chicago. So to just to know that the director was going that deep on on the Chicagoisms is 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 awesome. Um, and but when Neil Flynn plays that uh, transit cop who gets killed, yeah, it's like riddled. <laughs> I had no idea. Mm-hmm. When when he the 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 scene we we touched on also briefly when um, Gerard is is meets. Sykes for the first time and he can just he in my mind the movie's concluded at that point he knows that this is the one-armed man this is all of the info that Kimball has been well and how Kimball gets him there by having the phone call I just found a really big piece to then basically like the film is completed in my mind we just have to have this end sequence but but he knows he's like oh we he can tell that Kimball is telling the truth I, I find that when he asks him Hey, can I get out of here to see if anyone's, you know, touched any of my stuff? He looks at him and delivers the line with a, like this, like you piece of shit. Yeah, go <laughs> do whatever you want to do. You know, you know it, it, it's such like a, just as for me looking at the acting element of it, I'm like, there's just so much substance going on in these performances. So those, those scenes just really, really pop for me. And, and it is, it is Tommy Lee Jones who just delivers and, and he won the Oscar uh, if I'm not mistaken, right? Or yeah. am I wrong on that? No, yeah. won the Oscar. This movie was it, so much had an incredible representation at the Oscars that year, and so surprising. I remember considering like 
it's so goddamn entertaining. You know, it's such a it's such a massive movie. It was a huge hit, and the fact that it had then the uh, the fact that then the technical categories and and the craft, the pure filmmaking craft in something that sometimes this entertaining usually gets lost, but it's so dense and rich with craft that you know it, it got lots of recognition. But yeah, he was the he was the shining star of this one. Yeah, the um, I remember that too. Watching it, just a quick note you mentioned on the um, the the the, the the graphics and basically, well, first the title font is, is amazing. I was looking for what, who designed that, but that train sequence. And I was remembering there was a lot of hype around, yeah. you know, yeah. the, 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 the models that they used, the, you know, juxtaposition, the green screen, you know, it was, it all looks really good. And, and again, it's just, you know, this well, is they crashed being... a real train. They had Harrison Ford they had Harrison Ford on a green on a green screen lot, right? Jumping off, jumping off like a uh, like a, a piece of scaffolding oh, onto okay. a mattress. Then that's what which I they then superimposed it over a real train crash, and it was meant to crash at like thirty five miles an hour, and ended up crashing at forty two miles an hour. And so that bus like really does get demoed, and that train really did crash like that and they spent the money to make that set piece happen where they crash a freaking freight train i remember being a young kid watching that just being like oh my goodness i i yeah i'm almost separate subset of too much movie for the for our 90s first season is like have have special effects ever been better than you know the 92 93 like terminator 2 like jurassic park fugitive of it all like you know they they had to legitimately crash a train as well as then augmenting it with the unreality of like jumping off a platform so you got the harrison ford leap um that front on leap shot of just amazing but yeah, the just, essence of all of the, yeah, the essence of all of the things that happen in the reality of the movie are felt because of that. That that's often lost nowadays when they're making things. Yeah, I, I fully agree. Um, I, I thought that that was a model. You know, uh, on a quick side note, back in that era, there was always these like promotional vignettes that were made that might be on HBO or yes. or found somewhere. And and you know, I remember very specifically like ones for speed and how they actually jumped a real bus. And <laughs> yeah. and I was I, I was trying to remember if that was a model or an actual maybe, train. Maybe another too much movie candidate. We've already said two today. We've said backdraft. You just said another oh, magic yeah. word, Chris. Speed. Yeah. I, I would love that area. In, it's all in that I'd love area. to talk about I'd love to well, talk. We could do films of Richard Real and go right in the casino. Or, yeah. Let me be fair and tell you what it is I actually do, Charlie the banker. I gotta keep. Could, I gotta meet clean face at, at four o'clock. <laughs> you know what? We could probably uh, maybe a uh, secret to the listeners. Maybe we can get Richard Real. Maybe that's someone we can reach for. Oh my god. He was the original well, RP McMurphy on the uh, in, in the uh, in the stage play. In the stage play, yeah. Oh my wow. goodness! For one flew over the cuckoo's nest. Wow. So Chris, I think both those scenes are so wonderful. Definitely some crossover with what I like. Rob, what are your two favorite scenes of this movie? I definitely know, and this came to me on on this rewatch, and it, it's it's a moment. It's not a, it's not a scene, but it's a moment, and it's because of what it does what we're coming out of and what we're going into. And the moment is at 45 minutes in when Richard Kimball 
is walking into the dark train tunnel alone. I never noticed it before, but it's such a stark, calm shot after he's just jumped the dam, the I don't care, you know, a guy did a Peter Pan right off of this dam, <laughs> boom, you know, all of that action in the subterranean, the, the dam is so light on screen, and then it shifts, the movie shifts to he's becoming a P.I., He's going into the darkness or void of finding the truth. And we're because we just watched a 45 minute escape film. And now the movie becomes, it's still a bit of a chase, but now it's about solving the mystery. And right. on the, on the, on the rewatch that, that really, really hit me. And then my other favorite part, which is just um, of what Kimball means to me in general is what an incredible character. And I know this is kind of a carryover from the TV show a bit, but like how good he is. So much has been taken from him. He's been wrongly accused of the worst sin imaginable where his love is taken away. And yet he's helping people and touching people in ways, even with Jane Lynch, the way he interacts with her is so kind and and her reaction about whether or not he's guilty says so much about his character, but the fact that he doesn't just leap out of that bus and he saves the guy and he's constantly helping people along the way is encapsulated with Joel in the hospital. Yes. When he's talking to Joel as a human kid, what are you a football player, whatever. Where's your mom? And then, yeah, where's your mom, your brother, we'll make sure to reach out to him. He saves his life. And as he's going away, <laughs> He touches his face and says, bye-bye, Joel. How you doing, Jane? How you feeling? My chest hurt. Yeah? Does it hurt when you breathe? Yes. What's your name? Joel. Hmm. Oh, look at this. We're eating oranges and we're making IDs. CCH, what the hell is that? Cook County Hospital. You just hang out, okay? You're gonna be okay, pal. You're gonna be just fine. Pull that elevator, watch out. Thank you. Hey, Joe. How are you doing, Carol? Just. Yeah? Where's your mom, Pat? Oh, no. Is she home? She's with my brother. Your brother? Are they downstairs? Oh. oh. Don't you worry. We'll get hold of her for you. What are you, football player? Baseball player? Football. Hold on, son.
Uh, hey, doctor. Uh, they sent this one from downstairs. Bob, get this one in the room for a stat. And, like, I cried. My wife, every time I cry, she had never seen The Fugitive, but any time I cry, she makes fun of me. I <laughs> cried when they played. I ain't mad at you, Riff, at the Super Bowl halftime show because I've been missing Tupac lately. And anyway, that moment where he touches Joel's face in a kind way as he's being wheeled away and says, bye-bye, Joel. Just... Yeah. You know, risking being found out, he takes this action that is undoubtedly the right action within his skill set to save this boy. And that's why we love Richard Kimball, even though he has every excuse to say, fuck off to everyone. He's still helping people who have less means and less power than he does. And ultimately, that is his sin that he is put up for people who are being um, maligned in terms of liver testing and false data and research. He's a whistleblower. Yes. And ultimately that is why he is framed and this whole journey begins. So th- those are my two favorite moments. Obviously everything Tommy Lee Jones says is amazing. And my favorite <laughs> we, joke. We, we, we'll, we'll, we'll get, let's get, let's save that for best quote. Cause I want to tag on the back of that scene. One of okay. my favorite scenes is just after a great, interaction with Sam Gerard and Dr. An- Annie Eastman, who's Julianne Moore's character. Now, this movie is, this movie has six credited editors because it had one of the fastest turnarounds in Hollywood studio movie history. Um, even has the great Dove Honig, who um, edited itself with Michael Mann. They did 1,600 edits after the studio had approved the movie, Locked to oh, wow. trim and speed this up. And one of the sacrifices was that Dr. Ann Eastman and Richard Kimball originally in the film had a relationship. He met her no. after this really? possible interaction, which is why Julianne Moore is still one of the top line stars because they cut this relationship element of her meeting him and her giving him safe passage and they're having like this blooming new relationship and it just detracted from the momentum of this thing because that's, I think one of the things that's completely undeniable about The Fugitive and why I think it's so too much is that the momentum, like the lessons of the momentum of this movie should be taught in, in film school. The, 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 the sacrifices that you make sometimes to, to, you know, to digressions in the story for this unrelenting ride that you go on um, and, and without losing anything is so special. But there's a scene that Gerard is talking to Eastman, that scene concludes and then rolls in, the great Joey Pantoliano, Joey Pants, and he <laughs> rolls together and they start because Cosmo and Gerard are like this beautiful married couple. And he's like, why the hell is he here? Why is he, why is he coming out of trauma, saving a kid's life and doing exactly. And it's sort of this funny, like, why the hell would this guy do this? And then they track and follow a, a person with no prosthetic, amputee. with an amputee, yeah. like with no prosthetic on and then realize why he's there and the, Mm -hmm. the silencing of the conversation. Yes. The awakening of this new bit of information and the realizing that 
unwittingly and unwillingly, they are going to have to help solve Richard's puzzle. Like, even though he's like, I'm not here to solve a puzzle. That moment, they are solving the puzzle. Yeah. And when they walk in and he's like, do we have a problem? And like, no, 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 my man, we ain't got no problem. And then they go straight to that, you know, medical secretary and say, excuse me, miss, can we please have a conversation? I just yeah. cannot get enough of how perfect the storytelling is. Where are you at, this Mondo? All right, Sammy, this is my problem. What I can't figure is, is the place is crawling with cops, right? Yeah. And everybody's looking for Richard Kimball, right? So why would a guy be stupid enough to come and hang out in the Toronto ward, act like he's Mother Teresa? Excuse me. Yeah, sorry. You guys have a problem? No. Uh, no, 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 no problem at all. Just yeah, yeah. Visual these guys. There were two shot. There's a quick snapshot between two edits of both the coverage on both their faces, and then mm -hmm. that camera kind of stalking effortlessly on a steady cam behind that actor as they walk through those doors into the amputee ward and, and into the prosthetic ward. And I, I just, every time that moment gets me, like, I feel like my gut, like something rises in my gut, like a, like a roller coaster. I'm like, Oh my, this is how perfectly calibrated the movie is for me. It's just that moment. And uh, I have to share my other favorite scene, the whole movie with, with you, Chris. I mean, the, the gopher scene, the diving scene, is, is just, it's so splitting hairs between these two moments of like, I, I love how fast that scene plays out because in your memory it plays out for like a decade and in the movie it plays out for like 15 seconds where he dives off of the dam. But that scene where Richard calls him and they have that conversation and the yes. whole team is there and everyone's talking and doing stuff and it's Cosmo and it's then Poole and it's Newman and everyone's in the scene and, and Richard's there at Sykes' house. I just like, whew. That is just, that is just a special, special yeah. scene. That Kimball, listen, is some kind of lad to be running out into the crowd like Lad? Yeah, lad. He says lad. Maybe he's a leprechaun or something. Now, hold, but hold on. No, no, listen, listen, I'm quoting this Sam, guy. there's some guy on line three claims he's Richard Kimball. Who is it? We got another Kimball on line three. Oh, Henry, let me see that phone. Tell him he looks good in a beard. I think so. What lines? Three. Sammy. Ask him if he, he enjoyed also the said, I hope he was able to wear a little green, <laughs> sip some whiskey, and enjoy the rest of yeah, the Yeah, this is Gerard. Do you remember what I told you in the tunnel? We ought to be sipping some whiskey. It's him, it's him. Uh, yeah, yeah, I remember. Uh, well, it was noisy. I, I think you uh, said something like, um, you didn't kill your wife. Remember what you told me? I remember you were pointing my gun at me. You said... I don't care. He's on the south side. Yeah, Richard, that's right. I don't care. I'm not trying to solve a puzzle here. Well, I am trying to solve a puzzle. Five seconds of location. And I just found a big piece. Richard. 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 Hello, Richard. He didn't hang up the phone. Where's he at? Here he comes. Where's he at? 256 South St. Lawrence. Eric, get, get the CPD right the hell over there. You got a car there now? 
Blake able to so paradigm of Campbell and Gerard's relationship, right? Yes. Gerard answers the phone laughing. Yes. Because he thinks it's a fake Kimball. Yeah. <laughs> and his expectation is subverted when the real Kimball stops everything cold and changes everything. And that is what's true about their relationship is Gerard has an expectation that is subverted by the reality of Richard Kimball. And it's fantastic. And also what you're saying about the editing and, and the magic of the film is another great sequence of that is how the film sets up tension when in the stairways of the federal building, when Richard Kimball goes to meet um, Clive Driscoll, I think his name yeah. is. And as he's in line, we see Gerard climbing the stairs because the elevator's taking too long. So we know he's on his way through the whole <laughs> thing and it makes yeah. <laughs> builds so much tension. And then they're both going down the stairs. We think it's the same stairway. Yes. And then it cuts to show that there are two different stairways on different sides of the hallway. But it's what it occurs to me is it's like an MC Escher painting that they set up. <laughs> it's like yeah. these stairways going into each other and it makes a, a great statement in that moment of who is leading who on this chase now? Yes. Because yes, Gerard is following Kimball, but Kimball is more leading Gerard to these, the five people on his list of amputees who could be possible to what our man. It's fantastic. All right, let's take a quick break and let's get back to our quotes. Oh my god! This movie has so many quotes. Um, oh, yeah. uh, and 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 I, I we're we're slightly changing the order today because I want to do the quotes and then we'll get to our favorite actors. We've spoken so much about actors, but gentlemen, like I mean, how? I don't know if your answer can be every single word that Tommy Lee Jones says in this movie. <laughs> yeah. But it is so uh, it's, it's a it's a really it's a big temptation. Um, uh, Rob, what are your favorite quotes in uh, in the future? I'll give you, I'll give you uh, my, my favorite joke and my favorite quote is a Tommy Lee Jones and it's right around what you guys are talking about. And I was texting uh, Chris this last night, which is they get into the thing, into the tunnel uh, after we've got to go for, and typical of working, like emphasizing the working man um, vibe of Gerard's team. Cosmo goes, ah, I just bought these shoes as he dips down in the water <laughs> and we just see a flashlight beam hit pa Joey pants, face. And you just hear Gerard say, shut up. Cosmo. <laughs> ah, shit. Just bought these shoes. Shut up. Cosmo. Yeah. <laughs> 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 and then they're back onto the chase it's it's great so good um chris what are your favorite quotes from this one um i'm gonna have to go it's the i don't bargain it's the i don't yeah. bargain yeah. line it's I just don't don't bargain. bargain the whisper the the intonation jumping up into the whisper oh so good yeah it, it's just it's it it's it's everything of how you want to have a line delivered. And um, 
that is such a, again, I'll just briefly touch on that scene. It's just such a delicate scene. The other guy is so shook yeah. and he's so clearly, uh, he plays it you know, so well, Chris, you're right. Yeah. He just, is Tom like, Wood, could... Tom Wood is brilliant. He's in under like, so Andrew Davis, who did under siege, there's so many of those actors that carry through, but Tom yeah. Wood's one of them. He's the poor guy who gets left down in the kitchen with Casey Ryback, Steven Seagal's character, who's like down there waiting and following orders oh, of like yeah. crazy Gary Busey. Yeah. And he's down there and he's like, he's like, you know, private, private, that's gunfire, that's gunfire. Um, you know, like he, he's down there and he, he gets shot. And he, in this, you know, in that moment as well, especially if you're like a bit of an Andrew Davis fan, you're watching, you're like, oh, please not, not Tom Wood. I don't want him to get shot again. I don't want him to die. Like, I don't want him to be the sacrificial lamb in this group. And then when Gerard comes in and obviously saves the day, it's amazing, but it's also extremely traumatic, right? In that moment. Like well, it's, it's, and yeah. also he plays it, he plays that scene and Tommy Lee Jones forces to by saying, bring his ear, but like he plays the scene, not looking at Tommy Lee Jones, yes, which yes. takes so much courage, but also speaks so much of Tommy Lee, like the trust and kind of godlike power Tommy Lee Jones has yeah. as the the father of this family, kind of delicately and compassionately scolding uh, the the kids' expectation of the world, yes. and like where fairness and justice plays, like you know, life ain't fair. I yeah. bargain, you know uh, the. My, I'll let, jumping into my favorite line. My favorite line is at the end of an exchange. So there's that great exchange where Gerard walks in. He's like, I'm always listen to the big dog. You know, the big dog is always right. And they're all just like, oh, th there's, th there's that scene. But it's, that's not the line. My favorite one is when finally his guy's like, oh, I live next to an L train. It's all this exchange about the L train. And then Gerard says, I knew that was an elevated train. And then Marshall Beaks... <laughs> He goes, oh yeah, big dog, you're never wrong. I just love <laughs> yeah. that one. It's just that whole thing of like, oh yeah, like all. It's finally when his bluster is too much, and you know that like some points in the movie that, that they they get to return serve and take the piss out of him a little bit. And so I love that. Oh yeah, big dog, you're never wrong. Like I, I just. Big's I love it. Biggs does that again <laughs> at the elevator moment where he like walks away, and, yeah. you know, and Biggs is like. How about bullshit? How about that saying? Yeah. <laughs> this son uh, Gerard. It's always when Gerard is leaving. When he's leaving. Kind of, yeah, yeah. When he's brave. And I already gave. I already. I already. I already gave away my favorite line earlier in the show, which is, "Well, Billy, can you go think up a cup of coffee and a chocolate donut, and some sprinkles, some I of the sprinkles." That. I just yeah. that line, just. Great character lines like that, taking the piss, just knowing what the movie is and it being just so damned entertaining and fun whilst having everything going around it. They're, they're some of my favorites. Newman. Yes, sir. What are you doing? I'm thinking. Well, think me up a cup of coffee and a chocolate donut with some of those little sprinkles on top. Will you, as long as you're thinking? Now, this is, you know, the near impossible task of trying to narrow down who are your favorite performers in the movie. Um, let's go to you, Chris. Two performers that are your absolute highlights uh, in in the fugitive. I'm gonna have to go with uh, I'm gonna have to go with Tommy Lee Jones and Casola. I'm gonna yeah. just have to just you know Casola is like, but I think Casola's first. <laughs> I think like he. <laughs> I think. Oh, uh, you're taking you're taking him out. 
You got yeah. a clean shot here. What does it say? Entered hotel from the subway. That's my man. Not anymore. He's not. He's going down. You want to help us? You stay the hell out. Arrest us. Okay, we're locked down. That was a lower level. His he his look, you know, in that first shot when they're bringing Kimball in, um, he just looks so Chicago. He looks so. Um, he he basically just sets the tone and. Um, he could be interrogating James Khan in Thief or Harrison Ford in The Fugitive. Like it, it, the same energy, same energy. Yeah, and 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 Tommy Lee Jones just like I said, like I in this rewatch specifically, he just stood out, and I was I was realizing too that he he kind of has, is creating an archetype, a character that then later you know, has been translated a billion times, you know, through television and film up until present. It's like, you don't have NCIS without Tommy Lee Jones and the fugitive. You yes. just don't have these types of guys, these characters that are, are, you know, versions of this. And so I just thought of his influence, obviously everyone else in the film is amazing. Um, you know, I, and I will say that the team that he has also is, is a supplement of that. Cause that team that is made up of all of those characters are just, it's so great, but yeah, the, 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 the characters in this are all so influential on modern day crime and thriller television. Well, Chris, and something about Tommy Lee Jones that sticks stuck out to me too. I mean, he's fantastic, obviously, but in a movie where they're constantly talk, talking about who's smart and how smart they are. And like, you yeah. know, Tommy Lee and all them in the, in the Nichols first scene, uh, in his office, we're like, wait, wait, what do you mean? We're pretty smart. And, and they're like, yeah. is he smarter than you? Yes, he's smarter than me. When they when he goes back with the picture of Lentz and Sykes and it has Nichols there and Nichols is in full, like I'm about to give a keynote speech, you know, yeah. yes. big dick energy. How Tommy Lee Jones plays so sheepish to him and so mm -hmm, dumb, mm -hmm, but mm -hmm. it's actually like a brilliant move to kind of entrap this guy into arrogantly you know lying to him it's just the tactics that he uses in that moment is it's so beautiful and like surprising such a great yeah. layered performance there there's a lot of intentional acting i think in this film um that is 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 really used successfully i think you know i mentioned it earlier with harrison ford's kind of vague confessional overwhelmed sensation that could lead you to think he's guilty or innocent. And then I think it seems like that, you know, how Tommy Lee Jones, especially when Sykes comes in and I mentioned that earlier, he kind of knows he's guilty and, uh, but he's going to let him walk around his apartment real quick. Other side note, we don't have to spend much time on it. The set design in this movie is awesome. Oh, um, everything. and I, I was thinking about how this movie when Paul says Sykes says he's a clothes horse. Like yes. and there's yeah. so many. Like, yeah. I'm just like, yeah. Like, look at look at all the shit that's in this apartment. It's one guy. But they had that was intentional, I'm sure, because they, you know, we have to make sure that every space that Harrison Ford goes into looks uniquely like the character he's interrogating or investigating. Like, so every that's what I kept on feeling about while I was watching this movie. None of well, these places are Richard Kimball's place. This is all someone else's. There's first of all, a clothes horse will kill for money. <laughs> and second of all, in his little basement apartment, there is an orthodox icon hanging yeah. that is so like Ukrainian orthodox, Albanian orthodox, like I'm Albanian orthodox, kind of, 
and it's just like oh this really is in the ukrainian village like incredible so yeah i just really appreciated that i love that too because that moment where he goes into the the train um tunnel it's also the delineation between this rural country midwestern kind of ozarky travel vibe into urban too so we have those two woods waterways viaducts rivers leaves into l platforms subterranean locker rooms laundry rooms high-flying hotels and you know uh lower whacker drive parades shit like that so I, yeah. it's, it's such a smart divide there robbie who are your two favorite performances in this one? Oh, i mean look this is it's this is the movie that made Ron Dean, let alone Tommy <laughs> Lee Jones. Um, oh, Ron yeah. Dean's amazing. He's amazing in it. But my two favorites is obviously Tommy Lee Jones and Harrison Ford. It's their movie. They serve it up. It's my favorite Harrison Ford film. It's my favorite Harrison Ford performance. I just rewatched Presumed Innocent. And it's Fantastic like movie. another similarly internal interior performance of goodness and integrity um and just in contrast to the indiana jones and yeah han solo kind of swagger that he was famous for and i i i thought he was amazing that that line that is kind of controversial between me uh with chris and i about are you suggesting that i killed my wife i i thought was masterful yeah and everyone's amazing everyone does their work in the ensemble to fit as a piece of the whole that is led by Tommy Lee Jones. But I just want to go back to Maria Lewis and Celia Ward for a minute <laughs> because Celia Ward is perfect. And I know we don't get to see her live so much, but in her smile, in her, the way she throws the rose petals over her shoulder onto the stairway um, to the way that, you know, we're looking up at her while I guess ostensibly they're making love in a flashback to the, him kissing her and then him giving her mouth to mouth in, in the same cut, like the emotional engine of this film is her absence. And, and it takes a strong, um, it takes a strong performance without much screen time to give that, that engine fuel. And I think Celia Ward is impossibly beautiful, incredibly accessible. She has stature, but is also giddy with love. And, um, she's, she's, I'm, I'm in love with her. <laughs> I just I just want to say this. I've been saving a real tidbit from our great friend Jedediah Ayers, maybe a future guest on this show. Great author, one of the most unparalleled movie minds that Rob and I know. Oh my god, he's a surgeon. He's he's a surgeon. He's like he's the sm- doctor. He's smarter Giggles than me. He's smarter. He's smarter than, no, yeah. I'm Dr. Nichols, he's Kimball, right? Like he's way yeah, smarter yeah, than yeah. me. Yeah. Um, but he gave me this. He used to work with a woman who casually let slip that she'd been Celia Ward's body double in The Fugitive and had to lie on the floor getting hugged and kissed by Harrison Ford all day. (laughs) Had to. (laughs) 
And he's like, she was fun, was his thing. And I believe that that was when, you know, she's the, the dead Seal Awards. We're not seeing the live Seal Award doing the performances, but right. like those moments in those shots where he's like hugging and kissing her and crying. And, and she was Seal Awards body double in that day. So, you know, uh, really living the Maria Lewis dream of being the dead wife stand-in in that part. Um, but no, I to- <laughs> but I totally agree. Uh, if I have to talk about my two favorite performances, um, uh, honorable mention to L. Scott Caldwell, who plays Poole, uh, the, the sort of the, 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 the mother of Team Gerard. Yeah. yeah. I love her in every scene that she's in. I love the way oh, yeah. she asks questions. I love the, mm. the professional tone and the, you know, the incisive delivery that she has, which complements Gerard so much and the way that they all do it. And I love his team the the kind of like it, the kind of completely and wholly unpretentious but authentic makeup of the team like yeah. backgrounds and where they're from and how they sound and how they they get the work done they just yeah. get it done and they're all extremely capable having a, a a great crew is something i love in every kind of movie but in this movie it's so great um so i would say that she's probably you know her and joey pants are like my equal performances for completely inverse reasons because Joey Pants, he's so great, but he's, you want a kind of frustrated, antagonistic, pesky, like ask all the questions kind of guy in the team too. Cause you know, he's always like busting, getting his balls busted by Gerard cause he idolizes him. But at the same time, you love how there's a couple of great scenes where he's leading interrogations and Gerard is doing that thing, staring out of windows to Chicago, this needle in a haystack to find Richard Kimball, and then he comes back to it, but his guys are like moving the ball forward all the time for the questions. But I have to say this, my favorite performance to Rob is Harrison Ford. I, this guy, like I think tore his meniscus in the woods, running through the woods or whatever, didn't get surgery, just limped through the rest of the movie because he thought it would be better for Kimball to have a limp through the rest of the movie. Oh, it's like, incredible. Yeah, yeah. He's got a, so, I didn't know that. And so he's got and the, the way he runs and yeah. the way he flees and the way he moves is so anti-action hero. Yes. And that's such an incredible piece of knowledge. Thank you, Blake. I'm sorry to interrupt you. No. It's amazing. No, it's ama- and this is the thing. I think it's so tremendously devalued sometimes what he does because this movie star thing, like this whole movie doesn't work if he doesn't work and work right. so well. Like yeah. he can't he has everything to do. And he's often alone or often with a day player that he has to come in and create magic. And you talked about your favorite scene, which I think is such a beautiful scene with Joel. And I just look at him and I'm like, this guy who has made such a profound imprint on culture, on pop culture, like people just like, oh yeah, he's good. Like, oh, he's fun or whatever. It's like, no, some of the biggest franchises that have ever existed did it on his shoulders. (laughs) And, and, And it's not just everyone around him. It's not, you know, I'm no offense to Mark Hamill, but Mark Hamill's not an actor like Harrison Ford is an actor. And like Indiana Jones doesn't exist with someone else. Like that Raiders doesn't exist without him, you know, it's, and, and I, when I watch these movies and I watch like Presumed Innocent or like, you know, Peter Weir is one of my guys. So Witness, Mosquito Coast, Uh. I'm like, this guy can act. And in this movie, I think the work that he's doing is some of his absolute best. And it's just one of those movies that, again, in that 90s period, for whatever reason, like, yeah, Harrison Ford's a movie star, so what? And I'm like, so what? Like, there, we've been yeah. searching for guys like this since 1993, and no one has been found. 
there's no one else like that is like this guy in my mind and when i watch this movie i'm just like you know <laughs> i don't care what anyone, i don't care what anyone says like he's just he's doing his career best work um i think in this movie he's he's just spectacular well, you don't always get scripts and I mean, not me personally, but you just don't always get you don't always get these movies for these big actors to, you know, stretch out. Um, and and that just doesn't happen that often. And I did think about that in regards to Harrison Ford is this is a movie where he can shine and he isn't, you know, an uh, intellectual property character. He's not yes. Han Solo. He and, and he this is a whole movie that exists in its own world and he's able to play this character and, and you just don't always get that. And, and I totally agree. You know, it, it is his movie. I just want to be hanging out with Tommy Lee Jones, having a cigar, having the cigar while everyone else is looking around for uh, clues. Chris, Coffee, having a cigar donuts. while the, while the dogs are out sniffing. Oh, it's, <laughs> I, I, was like, okay. I loved it. But, I was like, Harrison Ford is 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 beautifully human and in touch with humanity in this film and and I think it's for me it's his best because of how little flair he puts into the yeah. role even right. in the high stakes moment moments and to me it's like the like I love Gary Oldman but my favorite Gary Oldman is Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy yeah and it just right. I just think it takes everything to to drive away from your persona and do something different and then he does like the anti-richard kimball in what lies beneath where he takes all of that integrity and spins it on you later yeah <laughs> yeah he's great man he's, yeah. he's, he's the best gentlemen this has been another fantastic too much movie folks listening i hope you're having fun with us we are staying in the 90s absolutely for the remainder of 2022 we'll have to decide what decade or maybe we'll just roll into the 90s part two because uh, we keep coming up with suggestions that we've nearly filled um, ourselves up for the rest of this season. And I'm so excited and I feel so like uh, uh, rewarded that we get to go back and watch. And um, I would strongly recommend an under siege, uh, an under siege fugitive double feature. Um, if you want an Andrew Davis double feature, right. because um, it's not only ham being liberally uh, skewered and eaten uh, like with open mouth by Tommy Lee Jones. It's a ham fisted buffet of performances with Gary Busey and Steven Seagal and Erica Eleniak and, and just, it's just a, a pretty spectacular movie as well, but man, the fugitive, holy hell. And I Blake, just... Blake, Andrew Davis also did Over the Edge, yes. which is another anti-system oh, yeah. <laughs> movie. Yes. He just does it better in The Fugitive. Yes. And so The Fugitive absolutely slaps, continues to rule. You must watch absolutely. it. If you haven't seen it in a long time, it's so much better than you, you'll ever be prepared for. The score, the editing, the direction, the textures of the city, all the performances. It's insanely quotable. Insanely quotable. And so what, what do we have up next on Too Much Movie? A little surprise, one that's closer probably to our hearts than any that we've done so far. Uh, another movie that who folks have listened to our One Heat Minute Patreon might have heard me waxing lyrical on recently. We have an episode starring one of the, uh, the fathers of one of my two guests. It is also a 1993 movie. Oh, yeah. It also stars Tommy Lee Jones. 
way more use of poppers in that movie than in this. (laughs) And also has opportunity for Rob Belushi to uh, grace us with many Pesci impressions. That movie coming up next on Too Much Movie is Oliver Stone's JFK. And we are going to be joined by the incredible author of Oliver Stone's career biography, Matt Zola Zeitz. I can't wait. Hi, this is Blake Howard, host and producer of One Heat Minute Productions podcast. We dive into the great and underappreciated cinematic works, often one minute or one scene at a time. Our crew of guests are some of the most wonderful filmmakers, writers, authors, and critics ever assembled. Our shows include One Heat Minute, Josie and the Podcats, All the President's Minutes, Increment Vice, and right now, Zodiac Chronicle. Check out oneheatminute.com or find us wherever you get your podcasts. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.